Our episode this week was on Haiti and our guest was Karel Pedre, who is a radio broadcaster and well-known uh, media commentator in Haiti. Yeah, and he was super informative about everything back to French colonialism and the ongoing impacts that that's having on Haiti, um, the impact of unpredictable natural disasters like the earthquake that happened in 2010, which a lot of people are aware of, but also the political system and the the presidents that have gone past and how they all differ and the impacts they've had on the country. Mm, yeah, and Haiti's also like pretty well known for its gangs, which, and I found it pretty interesting that the gangs and the gang violence is quite intertwined with the political activism and politics. So um, that was a little bit scary. I think that's something that the whole world can kind of learn from and look at. So a lot going on in Haiti. Mm, um, yes. And definitely worth a listen. Totally. And we did love, um, especially at the end as well, you know, it's not all, it's not all devastation and, and crises as well. It's, it's, there's culture and there's cool people and there's art and very, um, you know, uh, motivated young people, which we love to see. Yeah. And a cool tourist destination for mm-hmm. post-COVID. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Been There, Seen That. I'm Soph. And I'm Nay. This is the podcast that streamlines the messy world of global conflicts and humanitarian crises. Told by people who have been there, seen them, or lived them. So do you, are you in Haiti at the moment? I'm not, actually. Um, I'm in Florida. I had to leave Haiti yesterday because I had a last-minute gig, I would say. Um, but yesterday I was in Haiti. So, but you're, you, you live there? Like, yeah, I live. I live. I live um, yeah. That's where I live. That's where my daughter lives, and yeah, that's mm. where. And what do you want to visit? Yeah, yeah. Well, we, 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 that would be perfect. Um, but not right now, though, because, because no. I won't be able to show you around because of this. Yeah, <laughs> we have to wait until you're back. Yes, and yes. COVID, we can't really leave the country yes, very easily. <laughs> But you mm-hmm. have, we have to wait also for the gang situation in Haiti to be fixed because mm-hmm. there's a lot of insecurity and people don't really go out and do tourism stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess, I guess going on from the, from the gang, yeah, that, that's from a kind of quick Google, that's what comes up a lot, the, the gang situation. Um, that, that's the biggest problem right now. Mm. Could you maybe tell us a bit about that? Who who are the gangs? What they stand for? It, it, from our from our research, it seems like there's 162 active gangs in Haiti. So, what what's the threat that they're posing? Okay, what happened is insecurity was always a problem in Haiti. Um, even if it, insecurity used to come from the government, uh, when you when you see what happened during the Duvalier era, you had like uh, what we call the Totomakut. They're like um, uh, legal gang because uh, they didn't follow any laws. They go by their feelings, you know. They kill, they rape, you know, and do and do things like that. But after Duvalier, um, we had the, the 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 national army, and it, it was the same practice, you know. People with 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 firearms, like you know, making making whatever they want and wherever they want, and with all the impunity, no justice. But um, what happened is 
the national police after um um they let's say um, the national police was created to basically um kill that idea that the army was like that legal gang term that i was using just to create like a more um young professional uh you know with great ethic um security force that's where it's come to national police but at the same time without great um political leaders or a great vision the national police never get the chance to fulfill its missions you find after um Aristide's, uh term i would say Aristide, in 2004 i would say Aristide left the country and then you start having those huge um, insecurity problem where people from some what we call the bidonville which is like the favelas uh and 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 and, and, and brazil where you find those areas there's gang activities but those gang activities were mostly young haitians with firearms trying to control uh, an area but it happened that politicians start using those people for their own goods like using them to go kill uh, um, um, political opponent to go burn um, competitors business to do different type of criminal activities but since we did we didn't have like a we don't and still we don't have like a, a strong justice system in haiti so it happened that you have all those killings all those uh, uh riots those burning of businesses and it became the norm but at the same time every time you have elections you feel that the gangs are in activities. They have more activities because politicians are using them, giving firearms and ammunitions and what we call the ghettos and things like that. So the, the gangs became more powerful day after day. But at the same time, there's other people behind the scenes funding the gangs because of the kidnapping, because the kidnapping becomes a big business. So they're giving them firearms, they're giving them vehicles, they're giving them all the tools that they need to kidnap, to kill also. So the criminal activities became like a huge business because when they kidnap, when they kidnap you, you have to pay a lot of money. And that became like a, a, a cycle where the politicians, the private sector are using young Haitians giving them firearms to do gang activities. But what happened is right now in Haiti, the areas controlled by the gangs are key and very important areas to the, to the, to the social life in Haiti. Like when you see what's happening in the southern side of Port-au-Prince, there's only one word connecting the capital of Port-au-Prince to the southern area of Haiti. And that area is controlled by a gang. And when you see where they put all the terminals to, for, to, to store the, 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 the gas and everything, 
those areas are controlled by gang members. And then everything shift the past two years where those gangs became, uh, I would say, sustainable and are trying to make the best out of the power that they have, which is the control of certain key areas and the metropolitan area of Port-au-Prince. And you, just before we were talking before, you mentioned barbecue. Um, yep. Can you expand on who that is um, and, and what his role is more broadly in Haiti and amongst the gangs? Okay. Right. right now, barbecue uh, described himself as a revolutionary. So he wants to um, be the voice of the poorest, the 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 voice of he is using his 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 firearms and army to basically make statements about the situation in Haiti, but at the same time, what happened is um, two years ago, we had a situation where the government was trying to take control of the gangs, and they had that stupid idea to have them put themselves together and create an association of gangs. That's what we call the, the G9. And what happened is G9, uh, barbecue took control of, the, of G9. So he's basically the leader of all the gangs. So that's a lot of power since the gang individually are already powerful. But at the same time, he presents himself in the media has someone who's not doing criminal activities like kidnapping, killing and everything, but he's using what he has as power and as control to put pressure on the government. And that's exactly what's happening right now with the gas situation. Because on the Southern side, you have another gang member called Izo and Tilapli and those people that control that area. They stop the gas distributions and then the government thought maybe they, have, they, they, they might have another way to do it because they have another storage station. And this is where barbecue is controlling. So barbecue is, is, is telling his partners from G9 to stop the distribution on the southern side while he's controlling the northern side of the distribution. And since the, the beginning, that's because the government say, hey, we can do it on the southern side, we're gonna do it on the northern side. But it was just for him to have more control because there's not really a lot of gas stored in the southern part of Port-au-Prince. So that gave him a lot of control. So barbecue is that person using his influence on the gangs and his power to definitely put pressure on the government. And in different occasions, that's exactly what, what he's doing. And after the assassination of Jovenel Moise, he became really vocal, demanding justice for, for Jovenel Moise. And he's definitely against the government. And that's one thing also, some of the other gang members, they don't care who's in power or not. They just keep doing their criminal activities. But barbecue is like the enemy of the actual government, which is different. So it's, 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 it's like a personal fight that he's having against the government. That's why 
every time he, he do a press conference or go live on Facebook, he's always attacking the government because he's, he's trying to be that leader also that talking about social changes, eh, that uh, criticizing the, the, the government policies and things like that. And that's give him like good press too, because he became like that guy that can really put pressure on the government while a lot of people they're protesting, they're doing sittings and things like that, and the government never listened. So that's that's how I think I can describe who barbecue is. But at the same time, he he knows he knows the system because he's a former police policeman. He's he's a former police officer. He's uh, he knows the institutions. Two quick questions. One, why is he nicknamed Barbecue? And <laughs> and two, um, does he ultimately want political leadership, like to overthrow the government, or not really? Uh, he 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 said that uh, they call him Barbecue because uh, his mother used to uh, grill to sell grilled chicken, and 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 yeah, that so because of that he had that name Barbecue. But at the same time, they say also they give him that name because he used to burn the people that he killed. So that's that's two sides of the story. But him, his version of the thing is just because his mother used to sell um, barbecue chicken. And that's why he got the name. But at the same time, yes, his action is definitely political actions. You know, um, what he's doing is making statement. Like, for example, the country, we have the gas shortage for the longest. People were like, banks were closing, school were closing, everybody's shutting down. And then barbecue came online and with a short video and say, hey, all right, you know what? I'm going to give the permission for the gas to go to come out. And then what you see after that, the government has to do a press release, say, hey, we found a solution. This is when we're going to distribute the gas. So he's the leader. He's 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 the leader. He he he's very powerful in that moment, and all his actions are political actions. It's really interesting, kind of how the I guess political activism in a way and gang violence are kind of crossing over. Yeah, that's a bit I guess concerning, but um, it's, it's weird. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so kind of going back a bit in, in history, so Haiti became independent from France in 1804. Um, what impact did French colonialism have on Haiti and what impact does it still have today? All right. I, I think the, the biggest problem with, 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 with the French um, is just because they didn't want to uh, accept the independence of Haiti. And their actions were to really kill whatever leadership that was coming out of Haiti. Because the, the whole world were shocked that one little country kick out the French out of their land and became like the first republic um, from a, a, a slave revolution. So it was like a, a hard thing to swallow from them and they made Haiti pay for that. 
they made Haiti pay every penny that they could. And also they tried to control Haiti in every way because Haiti was a very, I could say, um, a very good, good colony, I could say, for, 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 for France. But at the same time, when they kick out the French, the French didn't want to come because they couldn't. But at the same time, they wanted to control whatever political power that Haiti could have in that region. Because while Haiti was independent, they were still having slaves in Guadeloupe and Martinique and other highlands uh, uh, in, in the Caribbean. So they wanted to control that. So that put us in a situation where former slaves, they're not well educated, and then they have a lot of pressure internationally under what they want for their own land and for their fellow um, slaves. So Haiti became like a, a country where they had to do things by themselves, trying to see how they can basically become a nation. But it was not really possible because of all the pressure interna internationally. But if we fast forward a little bit, there's like that, uh, you know, that gorge day, you know, it's like we smile, we're friends, but we know that we have unfinished businesses. And so that's, that, that's how I think that they see us. And that's why um, one, of, one of French former president came to Haiti and he had to make a lot of promises. But at the same time, it was just to cool down a little bit the tension. Because we Haitian, we, we know that the French owe us because they, they made us pay for nothing, you know, and that money killed our economy. But at the same time, also, when you see, there's not a lot of French investment in Haiti. Big companies, big, big French companies, if they do business in Haiti, is just not business that can develop the country, not businesses that can definitely create opportunity for Haitians, what it is. But at the same time, you, you, in Haiti, politically, you have uh, all those big nations calling themselves friends, friends of Haiti. They create what they call the core group. And all they do is, is putting pressure, you know? But at the same time, they don't really, I know Haiti is corrupt. We have a lot of corrupt politicians, but at the same time, you don't feel that they really need to change the situation in Haiti. They, they don't really come and say, oh, you maybe have a problem in, the, in maybe agriculture, for example. Let's try to maybe invest and put money in agriculture. When you see the support that the international community, especially friends, give to Haiti, it's not something that we can, you know, develop a country with. There's no sustainability there's no prosperity, there's no opportunity for Haitians from those investments. It's just like, oh, they can maybe go give some scholarship to some Haitians, you know, a few, less than a dozen, things like that, you know, and maybe do what maybe they call a cultural exchange. You know, they have a few Haitian artists going to France, you know, to do an internship or, or residentship, things like that, but nothing, really substantial 
that can really help the country. But at the same time, our past as former slave of France, you see that Haiti has two official languages, French and Haitian Creole. And most of Haitians, they don't speak French because you have to go to school to learn how to speak French. So that's like another big baggage on our back because when we go in internationally, the president has to speak French or the president to respect the national language express himself in French and the majority of the population, they don't know what they're, what they're talking about. Or since also it's a language that we learn in school, most of people go to school, but they don't really have, they don't, they don't really master the language. Yeah, it's a very interesting ongoing colonizer versus colonized relationship. It's really interesting. Um, if we move forward a little bit in history to... I'm probably going to butcher this name, but Francois Duvalier um, or Papa Doc, as he was also known, um, who was the president between 1957 and 1971. So he was elected on a populist and nationalist platform and is widely seen as one of the most corrupt and repressive presidents in modern history. Um, from, from my research, it looks like he exploited traditional belief in voodoo to establish a personal militia. Um, and um, something about zombie zombies um, that he had raised from the dead. <laughs> um, can you tell us more about Papa Doc and his role in Haiti? Yeah, I don't know about the zombies, uh, <laughs> but um, I mentioned earlier the Tonton Marcout. Actually, Papa Doc created the, 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 the Tonton Marcout, which is his personal militia. That was I was talking about, like, those people being in that militia, that those Tonton Marcout, they were making the laws. They, do, they did whatever they want, and, and, and no one could ever even look them in the eyes and telling them that they're doing wrong. So, yeah, so Papadoc, Papadoc created that, and Papadoc was a dictator. He was a dictator, and he wanted to create a dynasty because when he died, his son, Jean-Claude Duvalier, took power, and he was only 18, I think. Yes, I think he was only 18 when he became the president of Haiti. So he, he created that, that dictatorship. He, try, he tried to create that, that dynasty. And he, he wanted to change a little bit the, 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 the way that Haiti operates. But when, it, when someone is a dictator, he has only one thought about himself, that he's super powerful, that he, he has the right to do whatever he wants. And he was, it, it was wrong for Haiti because of course, if you're comparing Haiti under Duvalier's regime, father and son, with, with what's happening right now, you would say that, yes, you have a sense of security. Yes, but at the same time, it's just because a lot of people were scared to do anything. They were scared to, <laughs> under Duvalier, you, you couldn't see like three, three people together talking in the streets. It was, it was prohibited because they would say that you're trying to maybe prepare a coup uh, against Duvalier or you're trying to overthrow the government and things like that. So it was really hard. It was a really hard situation. And also you can say it's because of Duvalier that all those Haitians had to leave the country. Not first, maybe for, for it, it was because of poverty, 
because they were poor, because also Duvali was corrupt. So there, there, we, we had some little investment but at the, in, in the country, but at the same time, he didn't really create jobs. So a lot of people were, were, were poor, where they had to leave the country, but also the fact that people were not really free to explain themselves. They couldn't go out freely how they wanted. They couldn't even like sit down in the neighborhood and, and crack some jokes. They couldn't do that. So it was really hard. And also you see like the first group of people leaving Haiti on the Duvalier's regime. That's when they go, they go to, to Canada, for example, they go to, to the US, New York, Florida, and things like that. And most of those people were well-educated people. They were like teachers, they were like uh, young entrepreneurs or people with a really nice background. That's why if you go to the United States or Canada right now, the first generation of Haitian immigrants, they're well-educated people. And there are people that, you know, um, um, they succeed uh, uh, um, wherever they go because they were well-educated when they left Haiti. When the reason why they live was because of the Duvalier regime, because it was a really hard moment to, to, to live in Haiti. You didn't have that peace of mind because also you couldn't laugh at someone and then one of the Totoma could just kill you. Or Duvalier didn't have any political opponent because he put all of them in prison. What he didn't want to kill because you could, you could get killed. And actually it was like a favor that he, you know, he did to you if he put you in prison because you could get killed and, and that's it. And after he died, his son took power and tried to continue with his practice till, of course, you got a lot of people coming out and say, Haiti can't be under a dictatorship. And we had a lot of protesting. We had a lot of activism trying to, to raise also awareness in the international community. And finally, people realized that what's happening in Haiti was wrong. And then Jean-Claude Duvalier's son left the country in February uh, 1986. But at the same time, those years of dictatorship actually spoiled, uh, I could say, everything's happening after that because you had that mentality that a lot of Haitians still right now has that since things were a little bit better on the surface in Haiti while uh, Duvalier was in power, so maybe what Haiti needs is a dictatorship. Till right now, you have that, that you know, that, 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 that expression in the radio, in the media, people who really think that, oh, maybe things were better when we had a dictatorship, but at the same time, they didn't realize it was maybe just on the surface and people were suffering from the Totomaku practice, from also not having the opportunity to, to have jobs, and also, when Duvalier left in 1986, there's a lot of things that's a good thing that changed. We have like the opportunity to for 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 for, for um, 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 free speech because we didn't have that under the dictatorship. There's a lot of opportunity also that women can 
come forward and participate in different on different level in the national life. So there was like it was a victory for for Haiti moving forward on the right direction. But at the same time, politically, we still have for me that dictatorship mentality. Even if someone is elected on democratic elections. Um, so speaking still on the topic of presidents, I may need your help pronouncing this one as well. Um, <laughs> the former president, Jovenel. Jovenel. Jovenel was Moise. Moise, yeah. okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Haiti's former president, Jovenel Moise, was assassinated in his private residence in the capital, Port-au-Prince, on the 7th of July this year. Can you tell yeah. us a bit more about his time as president and the circumstances around his assassination? Okay. We don't really know the circumstances of his assassination because there's still an outgoing, um, 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 I, I would not say trial. It was uh, um, just a trying to, to investigate. There's an outgoing investigation. So we don't really know what happened. But at the same time, Jovenel Moïse was a very controversial um, character. He was a very controversial president because the way he was elected was exactly what I was talking about. Even if we, we say, all right, after Duvalier, we choose to be like a democratic country, there's always some troubles in the elections. The losers never accept the results. And everybody is trying to influence the results just to be in power or to stay in power. So that's basically dictatorship, you know? It's like, oh, I'm gonna maybe try to, you know, uh, uh, um, um, cheat in the elections just to stay in power. But that's exactly what happened to Joseph Moïse. Joseph Moïse was chosen by Michel Martelly to go to as his protege and the elections because Michel Martelly spent five years uh, as president, but Michel Martelly was also a controversial president. He has a lot of political enemies. A lot of people didn't really like his policies and the way he was running the country. So when he picked Jovenel Moïse, since Michel Martelly was not the one running for president, everything that Michel Martelly did he all his enemies came after Jovenel Moïse. Jovenel Moïse went to the elections, actually won according to the first results that we had, and then no no one wanted to accept the results. So Michel Matéli had to step down because his term uh, was he he completed his term. And we had one year of, um, of, uh, of I would say, a transition, transitional government. So that government of transition had to redo the elections for Jordan Boyes. And then he went to the, to the same election twice and he won. Since, of course, it was maybe obvious and they had all of the argument and excuses to say, hey, you won just because Michel Matéli was the one in power when the election were held. That was the first time. But the second time since Michel Matéli was not in power, they had to 
finally like say okay we consider you as the president you can maybe go and and do your term but since the beginning his background has has as a person was highly you know um, um we, we they talked a lot about his background like he was uh, the 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 son of, of of someone from from the remote areas in haiti he was not from from the capital of port-au-prince he had like a humble background people didn't really like him as a person at first and then also the circumstances that he won the election twice the same election twice so all michel matili's enemies are still after him so he spent the first four years of his term fighting fighting political opponent and he had a very difficult time really wanting the country even if of course we had more corruptions we have more uh uh uh, uh um insecurity and everything and then you have what they call the pay lock the pay lock is the opposition shutting down the country with protest that gave Jovenel Moïse a very hard time to do whatever he wanted to do. So he was making a lot of promises, but at the same time, he's, he was having a hard time executing them and deliver his promises. So he became someone that people, he became president that most of the population didn't really trust. And he, he and that, that, that's for me, and that's one of the things I was saying is like, Jovenel Moïse only, only had let's say six months, because we are supposed to have elections, his term was over. I didn't even see why they kill him because for what, I don't know, we, we, might, find, we might know one day, but at the same time, if you look at the, the, the situation, he, he only had six months left and he didn't have that, that much power. He became very unpopular. He couldn't deliver his promises. He couldn't fight the insecurity. He couldn't fight the, the, the economic crisis in Haiti. He couldn't even sit down with his political opponent. So it was weak as a president. And then boom, they kill him. So I was like, why? So that's the situation. And that make things more complicated for Haiti. While his political opponent are the one in power now, because they support the actual prime minister. Can you tell us yeah. a bit about his successor, the current president? The, we don't have a president. We have a, we have a prime minister. His successor is uh, Ariel Henry. He is a, he's a doctor. He, that's his, that, that is very first big role in politics. But the reason why he's the one in power now is just because Jovenel Moïse picks him um, one week before he died, before they assassinate him. So they, 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 they went with him because he was like maybe Jovenel Moïse's last uh, wish. And um, that's why he's in power. But at the same time, he, he's, uh, he's, he looks like a very calm person, down to her type of person. And he looks like someone who was not really into politics. All he wants to do is maybe do his term, um, you know, have elections in Haiti and maybe transfer power to someone else. That, that actually, that's his mission. 
But at the same time, things are getting worse under his leadership. We never had a situation like this in Haiti before, even if things were worse during the embargo, while after the Aristide coup, or when we, are, when we have all those pay locks and political problems in Haiti. With the gas short shortage, the kidnappings, the, the, the economic situation, it was like the worst period in Haiti ever in modern history. Like the barbecue is more powerful than him now in Haiti. We're going to move away from the politics now. Um, another thing that people often um, associate Haiti with are the big earthquakes and natural disasters that we've probably all heard about. Um, that's the thing that hits the news probably the most here. Um, yeah. So in 2010, um, there was the big one that killed over 250,000 people, but there has been more recent ones as well. Can you tell us about First, were you there during the earthquakes, what it was like to experience it, but also how it's affected the country moving forward and that that continued sort of un, like because you can't, you know, assume that they're coming. You don't know when they're coming. How does that affect the landscape in Haiti? All right. Yes. Yes, I was there in 2010. And actually, I was uh, one of the first person who used Twitter to cry for help because uh, all communications were were, were shut down. Um, but the thing is, in Haiti, that's that, that's a problem when you live in a in a poor country where everything is a priority. So the government didn't have the the chance to really inform people about earthquakes. Uh, the government doesn't have like the power to enforce buildings. Uh, policies and how people build their houses and have maybe a plan for constructions. So when the earthquake happened in 2010, it was, of course, just because it hit the capital of, of Haiti, Port-au-Prince, it was a very populated area. And we built with concretes without following the norms. That's exactly what happened. That's what we had all those people killed during the earthquake. But at the same time, since it's a poor country and we're talking about priorities, health was not a priority. We didn't have like good um, health facilities that can accommodate the people who were injured and also give a proper emergency response. And it was really hard uh, to, to be alive in Port-au-Prince during that situation. I was lucky enough because I was not in the center of town because that was where we got most people killed. I was away um, in another area, but at the same time, we felt, we felt the earthquake. It was very strong. And also we had to live without power, uh, wood blocks, um, dead bodies in the streets for at least four days following the earthquake because the only help that we got quickly was people from the Dominican Republic. The Dominican Republic was, was sending soldiers to find to rescue people under the wobbles and then you got the 
the Americans, the French from, from Martinique and Guadeloupe that came, the Cubans that came to help. But, you know, what happened happened and people died. But at the same time, Haiti didn't have the chance to really rebuild. As you can see, we had the earthquake in 2010. We had the elections the same year. And Michel Martelly took power in 2011. And it was in a bad, the country was in, in, in a really bad shape. And when you get a country like that in a very bad shape, and you, you have a corrupt government with no plans, with no priority, and then after Martelly, you have Jovenel's election, the first Jovenel elections, you have the transition government, and then you have the second Jovenel election, and you have the four years of Jovenel, it's trouble after trouble. So the city of Port-au-Prince, like for example, right now, the National Palace was never rebuilt. We still ha don't have like a National Palace in Haiti. It was destroyed uh, in 2010. They have a few government buildings that they build, that, we, that they rebuild better, you know, with the norms and things like that. But what was rebuilt was basically people from, from the private sector who lost their businesses and then who thought that they could maybe rebuild. But at the same time, the downtown of Port-au-Prince is still like a war zone. And that's why I also give the opportunity for gang members to control more areas. So we didn't really learn. And that happened, what happened this year would happen maybe tomorrow and, and the year after. We would never be ready and we will always be victims and, uh, and, in, and in a bad way because we, we are always helpless when natural disasters hit us. And it's not only earthquake; it's also hurricanes. And we 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 in the Caribbean, and we have like the hurricane season for six months every year. So it's a uh, it's it's not an easy island to live on with mm -hmm. all those problems. But it's a be it's beautiful though. It's 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 home. I love it, and you should definitely come to visit. So. The UN estimates that 40% of Haiti's population of around 11.5 million uh, are in need of humanitarian assistance and mainly due to high levels of food insecurity. Um, I guess who, who would mainly be kind of responsible for this? Is it the French? Is it the gangs? Is it the politicians? You know, is it the natural disasters? Is it just something that can't be, can't be assisted? What do you think needs to be done? It's a mix. It's, it's a mix of, of both. And I, I said that earlier. When 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 you live in a poor country, everything is a priority. So when someone when you have a new government elected, there's so much to 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 deal with. You know, um, people living. You know, with less than one US dollar a day. You know, you have to create jobs, you have to create opportunities for those people. You have to give them the basics like clean water, access to school, access to, to health, and maybe support some of them, giving them food and things like that. And when you see the national budget, when you see also, that's what I was talking about, the international community, how the international community is helping the budget or maybe helping Haiti in terms of investment in what we, we do, we don't really act like we want to end that cycle. 
we don't act like we want to end poverty in Haiti or create opportunities for certain people. And all you see, of course, despite of this situation, some people in Haiti get richer. They get richer from the government because the irony is the way we we're we describing the situation, the government of Haiti is, I would say, the one of one, I would say the only really source of wealth in Haiti. When you see all those big names, big families making money in Haiti in import and export or having big contracts, those contracts came from the government. Haiti is not like a country where someone like me could have an idea and create a business and become a millionaire. It's impossible. Haiti is not a country where I can have a startup and then the startup is working really fine and I find venture capitalists, you know, investing in it and I'm making money and I become rich. But of course, I can have a contract with the government and that contract, I will be rich. And, and people with big money will have huge contract with the government and making more money. You know, like, for example, with the gas situation, let me let, let me come back on that also, because it's important for me to 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 illustrate what I'm saying. The government is is sponsoring the gas. So when I buy a gas to keep the price low, the government pay a part for me. But of course, I'm a middle class, uh, uh, you know, person It's fine. But the people in the gas business, this is the easiest way for them to get richer because they're selling a product with zero risk. Zero, you can't become, you can't, you, you know, you, you can fail if you're in that business because the government is paying for you already. And then everybody needs gas. Gas can't expire. It's like a great product. That's where people, and if the government didn't sponsor the gas, it would be definitely a different market. I would only buy the gas if I really need it. Or I will definitely, someone who's investing in the gas would say, okay, I'm gonna calculate my risk. Maybe the money that I'm spending now, I'm maybe be break even or making profit in two, three months, et cetera. Or maybe if I create, if I put that gas station here, I have more chance to make my money and things like that. But you, the way that the government is doing, they don't really need to do that. They just need to be able to sell the product in the market and the government is giving them money just to sell it. So that's the kind of things that happen in Haiti. There's choices that the government is making that killing the economy. There's choices that the government is making that don't give them the opportunity to have money to do to do certain things, to build schools, to build to build hospital, to pay the teachers, to pay doctors in the hospital, to to maybe build wards. So they don't really have money to, you know, to say we're gonna invest in this, we're gonna invest in that. Maybe we're gonna create like a an entrepreneurship culture. We're gonna sponsor, you know, young entrepreneurs with great ideas that can change people's situation. You know, it's it's really hard and. To, to answer your question is like all you mentioned is a mix of both of it's a mix of everything because 
the games are not helping. The international community are not really helping. The government is corrupt. They don't have really a good vision of what they do. We're not in, 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 in that uh, mindset of change because the way what we're doing things, change will never come because we don't, we don't choose to change the country. When I say we, we it's us Haitian living, it's uh, the Haitian in power, it's uh, everyone because that's the way that we choose to live and you can't build a country like that. In this complex environment that we've discussed to this point, what is your role as a media commentator in bringing awareness to Haiti and but also in maintaining transparency in, in a pretty complicated political system? Yes, that's that's the thing. That's that's one of the reasons that I that I stay in Haiti because right now for the past three years, I could say a lot of people left the country. And the past year, most of them moved to the Dominican Republic. I'm actually in Florida, I could stay, but I love Haiti and that's where I live, but I, because that's where I, I feel that I have a purpose there. That's what I, I believe and I will still be in Haiti trying to help. For me, it's like I have that, that opportunity to be connected to the world and I have that voice and that platform that I can share my knowledge and my vision of a better Haiti to the population. So I never miss that opportunity to do it. Even if it's like for entertainment, it's, it, it, even if it's me talking to an artist about how they should maybe manage their business, how they should perform on stage, or me interviewing a politicians about what can we do really, what people in Haiti with money can do really to help the country, what type of policies that we could have to change the way that the, the state government is sponsoring a product that most of the population don't really use. For me, it's those kind of conversation that I have on the radio. It's the kind of comment, uh, uh, comments that I made when, I, when I'm having my shows or any, if, even if I go live on, on a Twitter space or Instagram and things like that, it's just because I need to change my mindset also for people to know that maybe if I stay in Haiti, they can stay too. Or if I'm making a living in Haiti, they might be able to make a living too, but at the same time, if they're here in Haiti, they should use their influence as little I could, as it could be to maybe make a change in the neighborhood and hopefully change the country. What do you think the, the future of Haiti looks like? What do you think needs to change? And I guess what more can the international community do? The first thing I think we, we really need, and, and that's why I think change is coming a little bit is just because now the the upcoming generations are more connected they are they have more information and they know better with the internet like hey look at me here talking to you and talking about haiti so this is not something that were possible 10 years ago even if it was possible 10 years ago no one would definitely think they could do it or it would maybe be very expensive to put a system like that to talk with the world on a podcast or any things like that so it gives me that 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 sense of you know uh, we we have a voice now and people listen to us and when when things are bad in haiti the world know and the the younger generation can also find more 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 
more leaders, I would say, not those traditional leaders that we had for the past uh, 50 years in Haiti. Because if you see right now, and that's, that's, that's actually one of the comments that I'm making every time that I'm talking about the future of Haiti, I see that the future Haiti can't be, we can't include anyone who were part of the government or who are close to the government for the past 20 years in Haiti, we can't include them in the future because they've been there, they did their time and they failed. So the only thing we can do, we can also of course listen to them. Maybe they can share their experience with us, but now it's for that generation, that upcoming generation, the connected generation, the Twitter generation, the IG generation, the TikTok generation to take over because we're more connected. We see how things are done elsewhere. We see how people really tackle difficult time or situation in their own country. We see how also we can put our mind together, not only Haitian minds, we can, we have a lot of great Asian all over the world. We have like friends of Haiti, like maybe you, I can cut you in because you're giving me the voice to talk about Haiti, to give us that opportunity to come together and make a change. And for me, that's, that's why I believe in the future and, and, and a better future in Haiti. Maybe I won't be alive to really see it, but I know that I will be alive when I can feel that change coming. Our kind of final thing that we, that we like to ask is um, what if you could kind of give a message to young Australians about Haiti, what would you want to say to them? All right. Um, the first thing is it's like maybe on the map you look so far away, but uh, uh, with the internet, you can be close. I think um, you can follow what's happening in Haiti. You can maybe uh, see um, what's going on in Haiti on every aspect. If you love arts, there's a lot of great Haitian artists that you can follow. If you love music, there's a lot of Haitian musicians that you can follow. If you love whatever you, you love to, con to be connected with, and you can definitely find that in Haiti. We have great people in Haiti and maybe uh, things would get better so you can visit. But in the meantime, I think the internet is maybe the only way that you can still connect it to Haiti. And connected to Haiti, maybe liking uh, uh, a post from a Haitian artist in Haiti, for example, will definitely make a difference. And maybe you ordering Haitian goods that can be delivered in, in Australia is perfect. Or maybe if you're closer to Haiti, if you come to the United States, go to a Haitian restaurant, for example, experience the Haitian culture. And I think that's how you, you can help, but also don't take that everything is bad in Haiti just because Haiti is in the news only when bad things happen. We are, actually, I know, you know, there's no perfect country. We all have our, our problems. But uh, at the same time, it's like, don't give up on Haiti. You know, um, follow me, follow other Haitians, follow other artists, and follow some other Haitian um, um, leaders too. And, and maybe read some Haitian book, get, you know, get to know the country. And the internet is, is the way to go. And you'll be surprised to see that we have great things to offer to the world, especially the Australians. Before we go, we'd like to acknowledge and pay respect to Australia's Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. They are the traditional custodians of the lands, waterways and skies across Australia that allow us to bring you this podcast and for you to listen to it wherever you are. We thank them for sharing this land with us 
and extend nothing but kindness and respect to elders past and present. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of the hosts of Been There, Seen That. While we aim for this to be a space of education and to offer a platform for a range of voices to be heard, we also acknowledge that the views of our guests cannot represent the views of everyone affected by the crisis. Each week, we have a new guest discussing a new topic to learn about. We have an Instagram page and you can follow us at Been There, Seen That podcast. You can find us by the same name on Facebook and LinkedIn if you prefer. We also have Twitter and our handle is Been Seen Podcast. Yeah.